Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, May 5th, 2017. Today we are reading from the Big Book, Chapter 3, and we are at page 36, the first paragraph. Today's readers are, for the 12 Steps, Sally A., for the 12 Traditions, Karen C., and reading the text are Linda D., Leah S., and Camille G. The reference numbers for Thursday, May 4th, are for 7 a.m. 9905 and 10 a.m. 9906. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Sally A. to read the 12 steps. Thank you. Good morning, a vision for you. Sally A. in New York, grateful to be here with you. The 12 steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Number two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Step seven, humbly asked him, to remove our shortcomings. Step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Step 10, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, I pass. 
Thank you, Sally. I will now ask Karen C. to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning, Katie. Um, this is Karen C. from Indiana, a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Our 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop compulsively overeating. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, thus problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issue issues Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all of our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before our personalities. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Karen. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our absence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 36, paragraph one. I will ask Linda D to begin reading. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Linda D, gratefully recovered compulsive overeater in North Carolina. Yet, 
he got drunk again. We asked him to tell us exactly how it happened. This is his story. I came to work on Tuesday morning. I remember I felt irritated that I had to be a salesman for a concern I once owned. I had a few words with the boss, but nothing serious. Then I decided to drive into the country and see one of my prospects for a car. On the way, I felt hungry, so I stopped at a roadside place where they have a bar. I had no intention of drinking. I just thought I would get a sandwich. I also had the notion that I might find a customer for a car at this place, um, which was familiar, for I had been going to it for years. I had eaten there many times during the months I was sober. I sat down at a table and ordered a sandwich and a glass of milk. Still no thought of drinking. I ordered another sandwich and decided to have another glass of milk. Suddenly, the thought crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey in my milk, it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. I ordered a whiskey and poured it into the milk. I vaguely sensed I was not being any too smart, but felt reassured as I was taking the whiskey on a full stomach. The experiment went so well that I ordered another whiskey and poured it into, some, into more milk. That didn't seem to bother me. So I tried another. Setting my timer. The, um, I'm just really thrilled to be able to read this paragraph this morning. Whenever there's something in italics, we're told that it's extra important. And, um, of course, Jim is talking about his experience of what we refer to as the mental twist. It tells us we can we can drink or eat like normal people. But what I really got out of this section that's important uh, for me today is that Jim's experience is a perfect description of the anatomy of relapse. And I relate to it very strongly from where he starts to narrate what happened. He says, I remember I felt irritated. I came to work. To work. I felt irritated. So he, he notices that there's a, a disturbance. He didn't, he didn't really notice it. He, he remembers he felt it. He was a salesman for the concern he owned. He's, he's a little bit humiliated. He has a few words with the boss. So he's already experienced irritation, discontent, restlessness. And then he goes into the country to see his prospect. And I'm sure there'll be folks who talk about where he goes and why he goes there. But what, what, I, what I've learned from this experience of Jim's and from my own after now, by the grace of God, close to a year of recovery is that if I am thinking about putting the whiskey in my milk, which for me is going to the store and getting something, one of my bench foods, I already missed the boat. Something happened earlier that day that I didn't notice that's setting me up. He's been set up. He's been restless, irritable, discontent. He did not recognize it. He did not deal with it. That's what happens. So the main point here for me this morning is that I have to be ever vigilant. You know, the 10th step warns us to, to stay, you know, to stay awake for these feelings. Because once, once we're thinking about the food, 
it's potentially already too late because the mental twist will take us like that, just like that, before we even know it. So with that, I pass. Thank you for the opportunity to do service. Thank you so much, Linda. Okay, who would like to share on these first Larry? two paragraphs? Matt Charles M. Matt M. Katie Matt Matt M. Got Larry, Austin. Matt, Terry. I mean, Larry, Matt, Charles, Katie G. Okay, go ahead. And Marie Chrissy G. Okay, I got Anne Marie. Was that Craig or Greg? Greg with a G, thank you. Okay, Greg and Chrissy G. Okay, let's, anyone else? Charles H. H. I got you, Charles. Okay, Nancy H. Yes, I got you, Chrissy. Okay, let's go with these eight. Larry K, Matt M, Charles H, Katie G, Anne Marie M, Greg H, I think, Chrissy G, and Nancy H. Okay, go ahead, Larry Kay. Good morning. Thanks, Katie, um, for your service. Appreciate it. Larry Kay, Recovered Compostable Reader from Chicago. The, uh, the one thing for certain with this guy, Jim, to me anyway, is that he was not in a recovered state when the thought came into his consciousness that it was okay to pick up some whiskey with his milk. I mean, I don't judge where he was before that, after that, I don't know. But at the moment, he was not in a recovered state. I know that from experience. I remember what that was like when I was not in a recovered state. The purpose of the steps is to provide us a path upward for rising above our own ego. So, you know, in a word, we, we learn humility. And humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And Jim was not in a, in a God-centered state at that moment, humble. You know, he wasn't there focused on how he could best serve uh, God and those about him. And I'm not taking his inventory. I'm just saying rather perhaps he was focused at that moment on how best to serve Jim. He was full of resentment, fear. We learned a little bit about his story. So for me, you know, how do I know that I'm on, the pa- on, on a spiritual path if I'm moving closer to God, then, you, then I must be moving away from selfishness and pride. And again, this doesn't mean self-hatred or low self-esteem. It means becoming free from my biases and prejudices. It means feeling genuine tolerance for others. It means being able to see how someone who hurts you may have also been hurt by you, perhaps. Um, It means being less concerned with what you can get out of a situation and more concerned with what you can add to it. Um, It it means, you know, becoming less of a taker and more of a giver. And, you know, when I was in an active addiction, as Jim describes here, we we don't just use our drug of choice. I used everyone and everything. I, I didn't have friends and family whom I loved. I had hostages in bondage to my changing emotional state. You know, in recovery, it's the exact opposite. We, through the steps, through these actions, we look to see how we can be of use to everyone and everything. And the main thing is action. It isn't about earning something because you want it for yourself more than the next guy. If you follow the program of action, you know, that that promises to lead to a spiritual awakening. it's It's a guarantee in the big book to get there, period. 
See, God will change me. And, God, and here's the thing. God will change me quickly. That's something I didn't get. I thought that there was great complexity to it. No, God will change you very quickly. Equal opportunity, higher power. So uh, grateful for this program. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you so much, Larry. Matt M., you're up, followed by Charles H. Good morning, Katie. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is Matt M., compulsive reader in New Jersey. Um, yeah, he got drunk again. He asked him to tell us exactly what happened. This is his story. I came to work on Tuesday morning. It's funny. I thought people worked five days a week. What happened to, Mo- what happened to Monday? He- and no wonder the boss wanted to have a few words with him. I mean, if I was his boss, he just happened to walk in on Tuesday. I was like, where were you yesterday? So already he was getting a premeditated resentment by going in there and having a fight with his boss. He wasn't dealing with it. He was just blazing over it, ignoring it like it wasn't even there. And he he actually went to a place where there was a roadside bar. That was you, and someone shared before in a special edition. He was already halfway drunk before he even got before he even got to the first drink because he was premeditating. He he wasn't dealing with that resentment. So the the mental twist already got him. So that's why he wound up in a place where there's a bar. Could he could have gone somewhere else? To, he could have gone to a different restaurant that didn't have a bar. And uh, the, the, lie, the lies and the denial he was telling himself, oh, I'm, I'm going there just to eat. I'm going there just to, uh, to get a customer for a car. I've done that to myself. I've gone to places where there's food. Oh, I'm only going there to hang out with my friends. I'm only going to this restaurant so just to hang out with my friends. I'm not going to buy anything. Yeah, 10 minutes into it, my friends are convinced, controlling me. Oh, yeah, we'll get you something. Don't worry. You don't have to, you don't have to get you know, We don't want you to eat, not eat with us. And so I let them buy me food. Of course. And then the, the right right then, he just suddenly thought to put the drink, the whiskey, into a glass of milk, just like that. Then there it goes, because the mental twist already had him since he was in the bar already. So, yeah, this I can you I definitely uh, relate to Jim, 100%. I've been there, done that, you know. I vaguely sense I wasn't too smart when I was food shopping, you know, before in the past, you know. So I recognize this this insanity. It's just It's just plain insanity. So I try now to stay away from places like that, try not to go to places where there's food that I shouldn't be in front of right now. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Matt. Charles H., you're up, followed by Katie G. Thank you very much for your service. Charles H., a recovered compostable reader. So yesterday we learned that Jim knew everything. He he knew he was a real, he admitted he was a real alcohol. I mean, compulsive over, I mean, alcoholic, you know what I'm saying. Yet he got drunk again. So, um, <laughs> you know, so I see a lot of justification here. I see a lot of rationalization here. Um, and, and we and, and they describe the, 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 the peculiar mental twist, right? Um, how many times <laughs> we have tried the experiment? You know, how, how many on here had, you know, I know I'm a real compulsive overeater, right? So I, even on the table yesterday getting this colonoscopy done, I was restless, irritable, and discontent, and they was about to go all up inside of me. I was like, I was beefing with them. 36 hours for a real compulsive overeater not to eat is not a nice thing. And I did it overnight so I could identify with Jim. I was restless, irritable, discontented, and I didn't care with the fact that they was about to go up up in me. And if I was them, I would have tried to violate me. And they was not happy. However, um, (laughs) you know, I uh, I did a 10-step right there with them, and I did it with God because God was with me. And then after I got off the table and after the anesthesia wore off, you know, I I I, uh, I called another person. 
But um, you know, I could identify with you know, you know, you guys probably gonna carry the part a little better than me. The guy was drunk, didn't come to work on Monday. I could identify with that. I could identify with rationalizing, saying I'm going to a barbershop just to chill out with these people. I went to crack houses just to say, yo, I'm a savior. I don't know about y'all recovered folks. Maybe y'all recovered more than me. If I go to a barbershop, I'm getting a haircut. I ain't going to McDonald's looking for a, 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 a word from the Bible. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to a, to a whorehouse to look for a wife. Um, you know, if I go there, I've got an intention. I've got a preconceived intention to go do what I do when I go to them places, right? People, places, and things I need to stay away from. Um, so it says still no thought of drinking. You know, I, I think the I think uh, Bill lied there. He, the guy Jim had preconceived notion because suddenly the thought crossed his mind. It been crossed his mind. I can identify with experiment every single time, even in after. Like I said yesterday, I didn't want to do these steps. I didn't have no choice. I was abstinent, 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 and then and then uh, the thought crossed my mind that I could try this experiment again and again. And there's people dying every single day. Somebody dying right now because they made that experiment again. Somebody dying right now. So I get it why y'all over tell us to share on the line, because you're happy that you're alive today. I'm happy that I'm alive, right? You know, I'm going to close with this. There's a scripture that the big book took. It took it from Bill's story. It took it from James, and it, it, it said it in Bill's story, and it says it in um, page 88 in interaction. Faith without works is dead. You can have the faith and don't do the work and still be dead. You could do the work and don't have faith and still be dead, and it ain't going to work. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Charles. Katie G., you're up, followed by Anne Marie M. Good morning, Katie. May I be heard? Yes. Katie? Okay, perfect. Sorry. Hi, guys. It's Katie G., Recovered Compulsive Reader, Anorexic and Bulimic, currently in, uh, I don't even know where I am. I'm traveling in Portland, Maine. Anyway, good morning. And uh, I, too, am so grateful to be alive today. Thank you for that. Reminder, and um, I guess for me what this thinks of is the delusional thinking that I have when I go back to the food, right? And what is a delusion? A delusion is a false psychotic belief. So we ask him to tell us exactly how it happened, and he provides his story. And how many times do did I, you know, within program think, I remember my first um, relapse getting Irritated with the sponsor, irritated with people asking me to do what I do, irritated with the slogans, you don't eat no matter what, no matter what, we don't eat. And I literally went to the grocery store and was saying, we don't eat no matter what, no matter what, we don't eat. At the food, as I'm throwing it into my mouth in the grocery store, justifying, rationalizing, and defending my right to, to eat, like being angry at Overeaters Anonymous because they somehow made me eat. And I guess what I so relate to about delusional thinking is I am the victim, right? Like, you know, he he um, he had the, the poor Jim, like he had to be a salesman for this concern he once owned. Well, guess what? Like the book teaches us, like we create our problems. The reason I was fired four times from the same job is because I was a bad manager. I had no business being a manager. I had no life skills. As someone pointed out to me once when I made an amend, she said, Katie, you have a lot of career goals, and yet you have no people skills. And guess what? She's right. I've never learned people skills, not until I got into the work. And um, 
Yeah, so I just, I can so relate to the delusional thinking of like lying to myself. I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to eat. And all of a sudden, it's like, it is. It's suddenly, oh my gosh, where did this happen? And um, what I love today that so many of our teachers have illustrated this morning is the difference between like the thinking that leads up to a binge and today. Like today, you know, I'm constantly doing work of 10, 11, and 12. Like, so I feel like I get, I'm, I'm more and more sensitive. I'm learning that every judgment I have is actually a resentment. What do I do? I judge someone. I find them guilty. I'm character assassinating them in my head. And I'm lying to myself if I'm not, if I don't think I'm treating that person differently. And so today, when these feelings come up, because guess what, guys? I'm having a human experience. I'm having a compulsive overeater, anorexic bulimic experience. And I got to do the work. When I have that feeling, I have to get back to God. And so, so much of my work, like I'm not even, as somebody else pointed out, I'm not even at that point where it's acceptable anymore to come to work on a Tuesday morning. You know, I'm not at that point where when I'm irritated with my boss, I'm on my knees, I'm doing intense, I'm calling you guys, and I'm throwing myself harder into helping others, God willing. So please help me stay accountable. Let's all do this one more day. And I'm so grateful to have the privilege to be doing it with all of you. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie G. Anne-Marie M., you're up, followed by Greg. Good morning, this is Anne-Marie M. in South Carolina, three uh, overeaters. Um, I'm going to set my timer. I can relate so much to Jim in that having that, uh, um, you know, fight with the boss, and that was huge for him. I'm thinking he owned that company at one time, and he had his former employees are now his boss. And so to make light of it, um, I do that. I have done that so many times. When not even realizing that anything's a big deal, you know, um, just like he didn't realize it it wasn't that big of a deal when he had that um, disagreement with his boss. But what happens for me and what has happened is that I'll give you one uh, one of my experiences when um, I just felt like sucking on something. I just wanted, I was feeling some uneasiness, not sure what it was, and didn't call anyone. Um, and that I know is when I need to call someone. You know, from this experience I'm going to uh, share with you is when I'm feeling the uneasiness, that's when I need to make a phone call, not when I'm thinking I want something to eat. Because when the thought of wanting something to eat comes into my mind, it's nearly impossible for me to call someone and have someone talk me out of it. So this time I was feeling something, I was just uncomfortable, I just wanted something to suck on, and I thought, well, I'll get a cough drop. Now, cough drops are on... Are not on my um, my list of things that I can have. I, but for some reason, I thought, well, you know, I've been abstinent for a while now, and just one cough drop. What's that going to do? You know, that's not that big of a deal. Um, and I had one, and then I had another one. The next night, I had another one, and then then I had a handful. You know, and I t- I talked to my sponsor about it, and um, she said, you know, there was something going on, and. Um, you know, to write about it. So I wrote about it, 
and then you know, a few days went by where I, you know, I didn't have that feeling anymore. I didn't suck on the cough drops. But then I had another handful. And then I thought, well, I might as well have some of the leftover candy that's on the on the coffee table. You know, what's the difference? You know, the justification. You know, sugar is sugar. You know, cough drop is sugar. I might as well have the, one candy. And I ended up eating the bowl. And then I, from there, I went on to a full-blown binge. And what that taught me was that, once again, I need to call when I'm feeling uneasy. And so um, I just wanted to share that experience with, with you. Thank you. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Okay, Greg, you're up, followed by Chrissy G. Good morning. Thank you for your service. Uh, hi, Visionaries. I'm Greg B. in uh, sunny and dark California. Uh, what a powerful chapter. I've been in AA for 34 years, and I've been reading this chapter, you know, for, for all that time. Um, but when I came into OA about 10 years ago, uh, this really uh, resonates with me even more than alcohol. Uh, like my friend said, yeah, you don't go to a barber shop if, if you don't want a haircut. Yet, the mental twist, the disease will tell you food is the answer, like it always has. The disease will tell you. Hey, I'm just going to stop at uh, at the grocery store and pick up a little uh, vegetables. And then the disease will tell me, well, you know, I'm, I'm not being too smart. I'm being none too smart here. But, you know, I'm just going to – I used to eat those things. Thank God I don't eat those things anymore. Or maybe I should make a phone call. Or maybe I'm not being too smart being here at the grocery store when I really don't need anything. But, you know, I'm just going to walk by that stuff. Man, I'm so glad I don't eat that stuff anymore. You know, the action is the key. It's nothing wrong with having a thought about food. Nothing wrong with thinking about a lot of things. We think we have a million thoughts. I'm going to quit my job. I'm not going to work today. It's the action, though. You know, it's the action of, you know, making the phone call instead of going to the store. It's the action of going to a meeting. It's the action of working the steps. There's a concept. It's the action that's important. Yeah, it's painful. Life is hard. We all have challenges and trials and tribulations. But, you know, we, we go through it anyway. As our program teaches us, we walk through the steps. We go through the pain. We take the inventory. You know, we face the difficult things. The disease will always tell us take the easy way out. You know, avoid, avoid, avoid. You don't have to pay your taxes this year. You've paid them all these years. You know, this is just, these are just analogies for the way my disease thinks. Take the easy way out, the ease and comfort. No, no, you know, there there's going to be plenty of ease and comfort, but... Do the right thing anyway. Like like you say, you know, uh, you become willing after you've done the action for a while and realize that you want the recovery more than you want the disease. I'm grateful to be absent today. Grateful to be uh, in recovery with all of you. Uh, Greg in California, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you so much, Greg. Okay, Chrissy G., you're up, followed by Nancy H., and then we'll open it up for more shares. Hi, Katie. It's Chrissy, recovered in New Jersey. The insanity is in action in this part of the book. I mean, you can see it. You can see it's so vivid how I can relate to this, how I can say, wow, this guy's insane, but haven't I done things like that? Haven't I acted in insanity? And that's really what I need to see. I really need to understand that, that I I have a mental illness. I I really think that those words are 
really strong. And I think that I didn't, I didn't own that right away, that it's a mental illness. Mental illness, you think of people um, being medicated and having shock treatment and just like outrageous things. It's such, it has such connotations. But my, uh, my thinking is not right when it comes to food. And it's so interesting how recovery works, like just the opposite. Like what would recovery look like if Jim had it in this situation? He may have called his sponsor um, before he went to the roadside bar. He might have said, this is, look, this is what I'm thinking to do. Or he might even have called and said, look, I don't think it's a big deal, but I had this um, words with my, with my boss and I'm feeling a little edgy. You know, I just wanted to talk about it and, you know, do a 10 step on it and decide maybe to, to take it easy and take care of yourself. And maybe, you know, like what I do is when I'm feeling, when I'm feeling threatened by, by my instincts are threatened and I'm just feeling like edgy, I'm just feeling edgy that I need to get the edge off. I go to God now, which is such a miracle. I go to God, I go to God, I, but to acknowledge the fact that I even have those feelings. There used to be a short circuit. It used to go from, it, from, it didn't go from A to B. It went from A to D. I, I would feel edgy, be deluded about what it was I was feeling edgy about, and just think, oh, wouldn't it be nice to just, you know, take my kids out to eat tonight. I could get abstinent food. It, that, and, and not even think about the fact that, oh, my God, I had a fight with my boss today. I didn't have that ability. Recovery gives me that ability to say, whoa, what was that thought? And I am conscious. I'm aware and I'm awake. That's what recovery means. That's what it allows us. So I am restored to sanity if I'm working the steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Chrissy. Okay, Nancy H., you're up. Hi, this is Nancy H., um, recovering compulsory eater from New Jersey. And I say recovering because I'm coming off of um, a binge of sugar. And I say that with hesitation because sometimes I don't even... I, you know, I have trouble calling it a binge, you know, when I've had sugar, I'm like, oh, I had sugar, you know, and, but when you've had sugar several days in a row, I would say that's a binge. So I loved what everybody said today, It and I just need to reemphasize it for myself. And what I really got out of it for me is that what led to my um, eating you know, was a number of things going on in my life. My father had a stroke, and... Um, work situation was really difficult you know there's a thousand reasons but what I'm recognizing is that I don't have the tools in place to make that phone call right away I always think because I've been in program for a long time you know I I don't reach for the telephone right away and that's a problem I need to reach out um, assume reach out to God and to another person you know, when I'm starting to feel like I, uh, like I'm upset and something's bothering me and I have not been doing that. I just try to tough it out. And I went to an OA meeting last night. It was an in face-to-face meeting. There was five of us there. 
And none of us had been abstinent. And I say that not in judgment, but um, in fear of, um, you know, what can happen if we're not working this program. I had been doing the morning meetings um, on the phone with you all, and that was the last time that I was abstinent when I was doing that regularly. So I want to commit to that daily practice again. Thank you for letting me share, and thank you all so much for your service. Thank God for this program. Pass. Thank you for your honesty, Nancy. Okay, who else would like to um, share on these two paragraphs? Barbara, Barbara G. G. Nancy R. Nancy R. I got Nancy R. Nessa R. I'll talk. Please, please just wait one second. Carlisa C. Sally A. <laughs> I don't think you heard me, but that's okay. <laughs> I did. Carlisa, Sally A. I got Barbara, E. Nancy, Nancy, what's her Nancy? Um, Linda, Linda. Um, I heard Leah M. Harlan G. Yes. Did you get Melissa um, R. Sally? A. Oh, it's Nessa R. I said Nancy. It wasn't Nancy. We just had Nancy. Okay, Nessa R. Linda D. Uh, was it Linda Santa D? H? Santa H. Okay. What the reading Let's is, just, please. Okay, we're on page 36, the top of the page, and we're reading through two paragraphs. Okay, uh, so this is the order I have. Please forgive me if I have you not in the right order. I believe it's Barbara E, Nessa R, Linda D, Harlan G, Leah M, Carlisa, Sally A, and Santa H. And we, I, I don't know that we will have time for all of those before 7.55, but let's go with Barbara E and then Nessa R. Good morning, everyone. It's Barbara E from New Jersey. Very interesting because I didn't get the sense from the reading that he had not gone in on Monday. This was a Tuesday and he was feeling, Jim, irritable. He was at the beginning, for me at least, in my understanding of it, of his journey. He had taken step one. He had admitted that he was an alcoholic and going out there and doing that. He was not up to step seven so that when he was feeling irritable, he couldn't think of trying to replace that irritability with comfortability or acceptance that he still had a job. And he was given to that insane notion that he, a not-in-recovery alcoholic, should go into a bar where it's unsafe for, for someone who is an active alcoholic And then the second insane notion that he might find a customer for a bar. And then we get to, I think I could put an ounce of whiskey in my milk. He had a sense that he was wrong. Okay, that's wonderful, but he didn't act on it. If if I am truly in recovery, I can now go into Dunkin' Donuts for a cup of coffee. I won't even look at the donuts, care about the donuts. They mean nothing. 
before I was in recovery, I would go into Dunkin' Donuts for a cup of coffee, in quotes, and then come out with 13 donuts, no coffee, and eat all 13 on the way home to my home, which was only maybe three minutes away from Dunkin' Donuts, and then go and have a complete dinner. And my husband would marvel at why I was getting heavier and heavier and heavier. But he knew not to say anything because it was a lose-lose situation. If he remarked on it, I would have killed him. I was also angry because he didn't remark on it. Didn't he notice what I was doing to my body? I was diagnosed as morbidly obese. It was not good because I was not in recovery. I had failed so many times before, done just what he'd done, sworn that he was off of the drink and then gone out to drink again. That was me. I had selective amnesia. I forgot the misery of being in the food. I forgot the misery of the consequences of being in the food, having to give up all kinds of opportunities with my children, with my husband. I forgot about the fact that I was not engaging in life and hiding and isolating and stealing in order to feed my addiction. I can understand and sympathize with Jim. He needs to go through the steps just as I need to go through the steps every single day and pray for the opposite of my effects. Thank you so much. I pass. Thank you so much. Okay, next is Nessa R. Hi, good morning. Thank you very much. It's Nessa R., uh, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Toronto, Canada. So Jim was irritated, uh, and here's a... A really cute fact, there are only two commonly used words in the English language. They end with G-R-Y. There are others, but they're not, um, you know, commonly used or known. And those are angry and hungry. And in recovery, when I am angry, I am at risk of getting hungry. And what I need to do is do a step 10. You know, it says um, in order to remove the blockage in order to get right with God and get right with the world. Again, it says in page, it says in page 87 uh, of, the, of the big book, we pause when agitated or doubtful. And uh, for me, agitated uh, is a code word for resentful and doubtful is a code word for um, fearful. And why do I pause? I pause because I need to do a step 10. You know, this, this, this particular quote is in the middle of the um, section dealing with step 11, prayer and meditation. So what does it have to do with prayer and meditation? You know, if I am resentful or fearful, I am blocked from God. I am blocked from my solution. So praying and meditating are not going to help me. First, I'm going to clear the blockages. I need to clear the blockages. And then I can um, be um, um, unblocked from God, you know, and be, and be receptive to whatever direction I get. 
And this is what Jim didn't do. This is what Jim didn't do. And he went back into the drink. And I see so many people in the rooms who, after diligently working on steps one through nine, keeping the food squeaky clean, they fail to work this very important step, which is the transformation step that changes our thinking. Um, and then they wonder why they're back into the food, just like Jim. Um, and with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you so much, um, Nessa. Okay, Linda D, you're up, followed by Harlan G. Linda, we can't hear you. I think it was Linda R. I, I don't know whether- It was Linda R. I'm sorry, I have oh, Linda okay. D on the brain. I, I thought I might have that wrong, I apologize. Thank you so much. Anyway, um, you're doing such a wonderful job, it's not easy. Appreciate your service. Anyway, you know, Thank as you. I'm reading this and listening to all the shares, I really relate and identify. And for me, it's the blank spot. However, the biggest thing that jumped out at me was I remember I felt irritated that I had to be a salesman for a concern I once owned. For me, that's my ego, ego, ego. You know, this is an ego, ego reduction program. And for me, when I go to that place, when thinking that, you know, it's impression management for me, that I'm so wrapped up in how others view me with my false pride, which is one of my glaring defects of my ego. And whenever that happens in my life today, immediately God lets me know, Linda, you've got to get your ego down to size, because if not, that's not only the blank spot with food for me, that's the blank spot for me that built and forget it with my ego and with my mental obsession. So today, I'm really aware, because of the steps, and because of my daily vigilance of working them, God is constantly reminding me and gives me that, you know, intuition that once my ego is getting out of whack, I have to really be careful because eventually if I get like, you know, I used to read this little black book in the, in the program and it would say, once I have the daydream, if that daydream starts to get into my mind as a thought, then it will escalate and then eventually I will be off and running with some area of my program that is not really working effectively. So one other thing, I chuckle whenever we read this because to me this guy was a food addict because he ordered another sandwich and to me he was also very carbohydrate sensitive. And you know, I once read a booklet that also says bread is alcohol. So, you know, it's the same chemical breakdown with the bread that an alcoholic gets when he drinks. So for me, I always laugh whenever we read this one. And it reminds me that, you know, it's not only the sensitivity to the, to the foods that are my trigger foods. I have to really be careful about my mental obsession and my ego. So thanks for allowing me to share today. Thank you, Linda R. And Harlan G., you're up, followed by Leah M. Thank you so much, Katie. Thank you for your service, and thank you to Team Friday for making this magnificent meeting possible. Jim has already been in touch with AA. He has worked the first three steps, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. He did that after being in an asylum. He has been locked up because of his drinking. He has lost everything. He lost his family, although he got them back. He lost his business, but he didn't get that back. 
that we've covered the thing about coming to work on Tuesday after missing meeting after missing work on Monday. We know that. But what is happening to Jim here on page 36? We see 19 times in the first paragraph and seven times in the second paragraph the pronoun I is used. I, 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 I. Not a thought, not an action for anyone else. Now, if we look at what happens with him, with his words, with his boss, and all these other things, is alcohol Jim's problem? Absolutely not. The problem that Jim is facing is the buildup of everyday human emotion. He is resentful. He is Harlan, we lost you. Harlan, we can't hear you. Okay, Leah, why don't you go ahead and then maybe Harlan Now you're back. Thank you. Okay. The The marvels of technology. Okay. Is Jim's problem alcohol? Absolutely not. The problem that Jim is facing is the buildup of everyday normal human emotion. And in the buildup of normal human emotion, he will forget that he lost his family. He will forget that he lost his business. And alcohol becomes the solution to his problem, and the mental blank spot will enable him to forget all the consequences of the alcohol, and he will only be able to focus in on what the alcohol will do for him, and he will not be able to focus in on what the alcohol will do to him, and he drinks as casually as anything. 26 times on this page, the word, the pronoun I is used, not a thought of anyone else, and no 10th step, no spiritual awakening, and of course, he drinks again, and with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Harlan. Thank you so much. Okay, Leah M., you're up, followed by Carlisa. Thank you. Still no thought of drinking. You know, um, as we read these paragraphs, I mean, to me, it's like a ticking time bomb, you know. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. The restlessness, the irritability, the discontentment is just bubbling up, you know, like a, like sticking a, a live frog in cold water and then turning up the heat. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. It reminds me of you know, the uh, quote in the doctor's opinion when it says they are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks. And that's exactly what I see here. And it's comical and tragic at the same time. You know, I remember this. That's why this chapter is so very important. What sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time after time the desperate experiment of the first drink? You know, as Harlan just mentioned, the self-sufficiency that's going on, the selfishness, created by an oversupply of concern of for who he is and what will be. And, 
you know, even though he has knowledge about the disease, even though they taught him about his illness and its consequences, et cetera, et cetera, it's not enough. The real problem with someone like me, a real compulsive overeater, or Jim, a real alcoholic, is that even after all the damage, even after all the consequences, even though we're tornadoes ripping through lives of those who love us, even though after the illness has been explained in excruciating detail, the obsession of the mind, that peculiar mental twist, snaps And it it takes us back to that which is killing us. It's like, you know, our mind is hijacked. So someone like me, a real compulsive overeater, we have a problem that binge food fixes. I had to understand that the 12 steps is the art of remaining undisturbed. Abstinence, physicality only is like putting a Band-Aid on a fatal wound. The treatment isn't adequate for the condition for someone like me because food changes instantly my perception of reality. It gave me a sense of ease and comfort. But what if I could find a way to live where my mind isn't going to lock on that sense of ease and comfort that comes at once by taking that first bite? And that process and that urgency and that necessity for continuation is called recovery. And that's what this is about, implementing the 12 steps to be recovered and to stay recovered. That's the urgency of this work. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much, Leah. Um, Okay, Carlisa, we have two more minutes, if you don't mind um, taking those. And then I'm sorry, Sally A, Santa H, anyone else I missed, if you could please stick around for the second unrecorded hour. Um, thank you for your service, Carlisa C., recovered in Washington, D.C. And as I'm reading about Jim, or the, and as we will continue to read, I want to say to myself and to others that the solution is available to anyone. This is not, this is not a solution that is just available to those who, um, who are sound recovered. It's not. It is, or are recovered. It is a solution for everyone. It is a solution that moves me from being restless, irritable, and discontent to joyous, happy, and free. And everyone can partake of this if you're willing to take the action. And it's a daily action, and sometimes a nanosecond by nanosecond action. And with that, I pass. Thanks again. Okay, thank you so much, Carlita, and we have under a minute, so I'm just going to go ahead and move on. Um, I want to thank everyone who shared this morning for our readers, uh, Sally A., Karen C., Linda D., Leah S., and Camille G., and please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. The share ID for today, Friday, May 5th, is 9909. That's 9909. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Leah S. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Sure. This is Leah S., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us.
Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then. <laughs>